Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Welcome to Real Life. If you're here for the first time, I'm Jim. Uh, and Merry Christmas to you in, in this uh, Christmassy week. Merry Christmas to you who are online and over in the chapel today. Uh, it, is a, it is a big week here. And Stacy and Kevin went through all the services uh, that we have this week. There are so many of them, I don't even remember when they are. I'm just going to live here for the week. And I uh, look forward to seeing you all at various times. Thank you to all of you who were here yesterday. We had a huge crew come out, and we realized if we ripped out some fencing out there, we could double park cars and probably get another 12 or 15 cars in out there. So uh, as you see, there, there are cars that are now parked on the dirt out there. That's uh, staff and musicians who are here before you get here and here after you leave. And if uh, cars are parked on the dirt, you can just double park us right in. Uh, and that way we get another, uh, another 50 people or so in the, in the parking lot, which is great. So uh, thanks to all of you who helped with that. Uh, so Christmas is here. Are you excited? Yeah. Are you, you decorated? Uh, I have some next door neighbors whose house is lit up like the sun. It is incredible. And, uh, and the pals too, right around the corner there. Uh, my whole neighborhood's starting to break out in just light. And, uh, so it's a beautiful uh, neighborhood that I live in and, uh, we're looking forward to a good time of, uh, family and worship and Christmas celebration. And, and I, and I wish that for, for you and all the people you love as well. Um, as always, uh, at this time of the year, it is, uh, it is uh, my uh, right and responsibility to ask that you remember the church in your year-end charitable giving. I know a lot of people wait until December and they decide what they're going to do in the course of the year. The ministries that you've done as a church this year have been incredible, and it's uh, because of God's grace and your big hearts that we've been able to do all that we have, sending you know, 100 gifts to Mexico this week. And, uh, and the way we've reached out to the homeless, there are, there are people who joined our church this year and are now in, uh, in rehab because they wanted to get their lives in, in better shape. And um, it's because of your ongoing care for the world around us that those kinds of things happen. So thank you for your generosity throughout the course of the year. And as, you, as we head into the final week of the year, if you'd prayerfully consider our church, that helps us plan for the ministries of next year. And there are, are big things coming. Uh, let's take a minute. And as we get into our series of, uh, continuing our series of studies uh, this morning, let's take a minute and pray together. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for the chance that we have to gather as your people, to gather around you and your word, to remember who you are and how much you love us and all that you gave for us. I thank you that you came to be one of us. And at Christmas, we remember Emmanuel, God is with us. You, you translated yourself into humanity so that we could see you and know you and be in relationship with you. And so now I ask that by the power of your spirit, you would reach hearts that are far away, that have run from you or are afraid of you or are skeptical of you. God, by the power of your spirit, reach hearts just that people might know that they're loved, just that people might know that they're cared for. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. 
We've been in a series of studies on the weekends called Emmanuel, God with us. And we're looking at what, what it means to say God became a human being and what that does to our lives. Because that's not just information for our heads, that's transformation for our hearts. And as we look at this, uh, this great message that God is with us and that God calls us to a, a great exchange, we're reading through a, a letter in the Bible called Philippians. Because Philippians was written by a first century Christian preacher named Paul. And he writes this letter from prison at the end of his life facing martyrdom. And he is as happy as a clam. He's at the end of his life in prison, rotting away, never going to be free again. And he's saying, it is so worth it. I'm so glad I lived the life I did. I'm so glad I made the exchange that I did. I gave up things that I didn't need. Education, career, family, success, status. I gave all that up and I lived for one thing. I lived to make Jesus known. And it was totally worth it. Paul's figured out what life is for. And Philippians shows us not, not just how to do it, but, but how good it feels when you get to the end and you realize you did it right. And I want to get to the end and realize I did it right. I mean, when I get to the end of this life, whether I'm rotting in prison or whatever, I hope that I look back and go, oh, that was so worth it. I'm glad I, I made that decision. I'm glad I did it that way. And so we're reading Philippians together to see what it means to, to let go of the things of this world that we don't need to hold on to or shouldn't hold on to, to take hold of the meaning of life and to live for Christ. Uh, to, to get into our, our study today, our study in Philippians and the, the city of Philippi, the ancient Greek city of Philippi, I need to do a deep dive into the, the first century context because there's something interesting going on in the first century world which when you, when you understand it, illuminates the scriptures. It makes them uh, clearer and more alive than they might have been. It's kind of fascinating. So Paul, first century disciple of Jesus. Actually, originally, a Jewish guy who was going around killing Christians because he thought they were perverting the Jewish faith and then miraculously converted to Christianity and, and became the, the great megaphone of Christianity in the first century world. So picture Paul. He's given up. He was well-educated, gave up education, gave up career, gave up status to go city to city making Jesus known where nobody had ever heard of Jesus before. And there was a road on which Paul walked called the Via Ignatia. And it was this big Roman road. It had been built 150 years before Jesus walked the earth. And to give you a sense for the, the span of this road, it was 700 miles long. That is the distance from where you are sitting right now to the Oregon border. It's a gigantic road that spanned across the north end of Greece. And the Romans built roads for one reason. They built it to expand their empire. They built roads to expand their control because when you build a road through a, a, a territory, through wilderness, your armies can then march down the road and go and conquer the next country over. And the Romans used roads like a weapon as surely as they did a sword or a catapult. They built these roads so their armies could march off and conquer a new territory, take it over, collect taxes, conscript their young men into the army, and then go and take the next country after that. Uh, and so the Via Ignatia was this long 700-mile road that went from, you could take a little boat from Italy to Greece and then march all the way over to Turkey. And, and they built this for the, for the purpose of expanding the empire. Now, Philippi is this little Greek city. We've been reading the letter to the, the church in Philippi. And Philippi is this little city smack dab in the middle of the Via Ignatia, right in the middle, and it's right on a port so boats can come in and you can walk in either direction from there. And, and so it became this major, important, rich port city, this hub city through which all kinds of people traveled. And Paul, who wanted to make Jesus known, 
would target cities where there was lots of foot traffic. He was just like Starbucks. You figure out where everybody's going to be, and then you plant one there because everybody's going to come, right? So it's a good strategy. So, so Philippi is right in the middle of the Via Ignatia. And you have to picture, you have to picture the first century Greco-Roman world. If you were born in Philippi, you expected to live maybe 40 years and then die you were going to be born into a certain place in life, and that place was not going to change. If you were born rich, good for you. If you were born poor, that's just how it is. It's not going to change much. You're born into the place that fate has chosen for you. Your only goal in life is to sort of enjoy what you can and then stay out of trouble. Don't provoke the empire because they'll kill you off pretty quickly. Just enjoy life as best you can. Practice the virtues which usually means settling for the place in life that fate and fortune have designed for you. Paul goes to Philippi, this, this ancient city that Rome has built through conquest. And, and you gotta picture, you gotta picture Paul walking on the Via Ignatia, walking down this road. And, and don't, like when we read about historical figures, it's easy to, to picture them as like, you know, superheroes or like comic book characters or something that's in black and white or sepia that you can't relate to. This is a guy just like you and I. This is a guy who could have been sitting here in the pews with us on Sunday morning. And he would have, he would have understood our lives. He would have related to us. He would have felt the same kinds of things. Humanity has not changed that much in 2,000 years. He would have been like us. And yet he's figured out what life is for. Life is for making Jesus known. That's the purpose of it. That's what you do. A life lived well is a life spent making Jesus known. And Paul is walking down the Via Ignatia, this long road, because he's going to Philippi. And he was, he was a smart guy. He was educated. He had to know what he was doing. He was walking down a road that Rome had used to spread the Roman Empire. And he was going to use it to spread the kingdom of God. He was stealing a road from the Roman kingdom to give it to the heavenly kingdom. He had to know he was doing that. He had to see the irony of that. Rome had gone everywhere to conquer and take over. The word of Jesus was going everywhere to set people free. Paul knew that there was an exchange that was going to be made in the city of Philippi when people came to find out who Jesus was. They were going to let go of the, the ways of the empire and the values of the Roman kingdom and take hold of the kingdom of God. He saw this exchange coming. And walking down this road, he had to realize the irony of what he was doing. This, this road that had been laid 150 years before he was born. And now he was going to take it and use it for holy purposes. The, um, the early Christians called themselves the road. They called themselves the way. Uh, the Greek word was hados, uh, it, road or way, either way. And, and, and Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's the same word, the hados. And so Paul is walking down the, the hados of ancient Rome and using it to spread the way, the hados, the word of God. This is a picture of the Christian life. This is what you and I do. We are born onto pathways that we did not design for ourselves. You ever heard the saying, um, geography is destiny? You ever heard that geography is destiny? Where you're born determines a lot of who you become. It determines what kind of education you can get, what kind of healthcare you can get, what kind of family you're gonna grow up in. A lot of, a lot of where, uh, where, who you are is defined by where you were born. Geography is destiny, right? 
We're born into all kinds of pathways that we did not design for ourselves, pathways that existed hundreds of years before we were born. We're born into political systems that are just here. We're born into a country and a language. We're born into a family. We're given genetic matter that we didn't get to pick. A lot is pre-designed for us. You're born on a road, and one day you might look around and go, how did I get here? What is this road? It stretches back from before I ever lived. What do I do? Do I, just, do I just spend my life continuing down this road that was laid out for me? Because it seems like that's the easiest thing to do. Jesus wants to take hold of the road that you're on and use it for holy purposes. Jesus wants to take, care, take hold of the, the road onto which you were born and use it to spread his love in the kingdom. You might be born into, a, into a, a way of empire that says if you succeed in certain ways, if you achieve in certain ways, if you obey in certain ways, you'll be fine. And Jesus wants to take the roads that we are born onto, the, onto and use them to start a revolution, to spread his kingdom where before there were only empires of this world. In, in Philippi, Rome would build a theater to keep people entertained and a prison to lock them up, right? Make the most out of life that you can and don't get in the way of the empire, right? It's, it's predetermined for you. When the Christian church broke out at Philippi, it was in the city of Philippi that they would build the first churches in Europe. The first Christian churches that appeared in Europe would be in Philippi because it's over the empires of this world that God's kingdom unfolds. I want to look at a couple stories from Philippi today, because we've been reading through the letter to the Philippians and talking about what God calls us to, what he calls us to let go of and to take hold of. But I want to look at the actual story of when Paul went to Philippi, and that's in the book of Acts. And this is the best way to read the Bible. There are, there are all these letters written by Paul. There's 13 of them in there, and it, letters to the different cities that he visited or wanted to visit. And then there's the book of Acts that tells the adventures of the first century apostles. And it's good to read them side by side. So when you read the letter to the Galatians, go and read what happens when Paul goes to Galatia. When you read the letter to the Ephesians, go and read what happens when Paul went to Ephesia. Ephesus, Ephesia. <laughs> I'll just make up some cities. He went to Ephesus. <laughs> So we're reading uh, the letter to the Philippians. We're going to look at what happens when Paul went to Philippi. This is in Acts chapter 16 in your Bible. So open in your Bible to Acts chapter 16 and look at two powerful stories of an exchange that went on, an exchange of empire for freedom. This is in Acts chapter 16 at verse 12. Uh, first of all, there are these two encounters Paul has with these two different women that he meets in Philippi. Listen to the word of God. From there we traveled to Philippi, and this is we because Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he actually traveled along with Paul at certain points. So this is a first-person account now. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city in that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, which would have been the Canidas River, river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. This was actually the custom in the first century Jewish world. If it was a big enough city, there would be a synagogue, a building where they went and worshiped on the Sabbath day, on their, their Saturday. But if it w- there was not a big enough Jewish population, the Jewish people in that town would go outside the city on the Sabbath day and ga- gather by a river. They would gather by a body of water. And so Paul goes to the local river going, I bet that's where they are on the Sabbath day. And sure enough, that's where he finds them. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. 
Now, that gives us a couple of biographical notes on her. Uh, it, was, it was not commonplace for women to be uh, working in business, much less to be a manager of a business. So Lydia is probably a widow. She was probably born in a place of status or wealth, and her husband died, which could launch a woman into poverty. But she has created a business for herself. And as a clothing merchant, she was probably fairly rich. Her home would become one of the first places that Christians would gather. A dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, meaning she was Jewish. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. She was practicing the great Jewish custom of welcoming strangers. When a foreigner came by your door, you invited the men and treated them as one of your own. Now, picture Lydia's life prior to the gospel. Lydia was a Jewish woman, which means she believed that God's love was something you earned through strict obedience to the law. You followed the laws sufficiently, and God would reward you. If you broke the laws, God would punish you, and you'd have to go and offer sacrifices. This was the, the Jewish mindset in the Jewish world, and it, it, is a, it is a strict world to live in. The idea that God is waiting to judge you if you are not good enough. The message of the gospel was this. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you are absolutely forgiven when you believe in him. Anything you've ever done wrong, anything you think God might hold against you, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, all of your punishment is already taken care of. On those days where just in your gut you feel guilty, where you just feel a little suspicious that things are going wrong in your life because God is mad at you. Remind yourself, Jesus died on the cross for me. God has no anger left for me. He feels only a deep and compassionate love for me. Paul set Lydia free. The gospel set Lydia free. This is the exchange we make when we say God is with us. We let go of the, the fear that God is waiting at every moment to punish us and take hold of the promise that God loves us. Paul set Lydia free. On top of that, she was, she was held captive to the value system of Rome. Most likely, I think this is her story, she was widowed and managed to eke out a business for herself and stay afloat. And she probably lived under the pressures that business leaders in our society live under, that if I don't succeed, it'll all fall apart and I'll be on the street. She lived entrapped by these worlds. And God came to set her free. The first story of conversion in Philippi is this woman being set free from the, the mentality of empire that surrounded her. Then Paul encounters another woman in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. So this is a woman who was possessed by a demon and who was also born into a slave class and was being used to make money. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. This is exorcism by annoyance. This is like what I hear in my house when my 12-year-old son wanders into my 15-year-old daughter's bedroom because he wants to play. And she does not want to play, but he wants to play, and he will not leave. And we're sitting down in the living room, and I'll hear in this loud, booming, 
uh, 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 sort of divinely powered voice, in the name of Jesus, get out of my room. And my wife will turn to me and say, what was that? And I say, this is an exorcism. Paul is just so annoyed by the spirit following him around that he sets her free from it. I guess miracles come in all shapes and sizes. This woman was, was held by the mentality of empire. She was a slave. You're born a slave. You stay a slave. You're never going to escape. Maybe her people were conquered at one point by Rome, and she is a slave, and that's how it's going to be. On top of that, this demon possesses her. She is spiritually bound and cannot be free. And the gospel sets her free from both. And this is the, the map of the Christian life for you and I. When we invite Jesus in, he takes us off of the pathways of the empire and he sets us onto the pathways of the kingdom. He takes us out of the the power of the things that enslaves us and he sets us free to new life and to real life. There are all kinds of things that that bind us and hold us. You, You may think you're free, but Think about how much of your waking life is spent trying to satisfy other people's agendas for you. You can be held in slavery and bondage by a need for status, by a need to appear in certain ways. You can be held in bondage by your Instagram account, needing at every moment to post exactly the the right and most happy selfie and so that everybody will know how wonderful you are. Uh, so everybody will know how happy your life is. I just did that. <laughs> Jesus came to set you free from that as well. Jesus came to set you free from the need to maintain appearances. You can be held in slavery to status. You can be held in slavery to success, to the need need to uh, amass a trophy case for yourself, showing how accomplished you are. And there are all kinds of very successful people in our society, in our world, who spend their lives never feeling good enough because they are enslaved by that need to prove themselves. Jesus came to set you free from that pathway of empire to put you on a pathway of the kingdom of God. We can be enslaved by status and success. We can be enslaved by sloth, by laziness. We are losing a generation of boys to pot, porn, and video games because they are being told the best you can do with your life is to entertain yourself. There's a theater and there's a prison. Entertain yourself and stay out of trouble. That's what life is for. That is every bit as much a spiritual bondage as any other. And Jesus came to set us free from that kind of meaninglessness. We can be held enslaved to, uh, in slavery to status, to success, to sloth, and ultimately to dark spiritual powers. This woman was, was controlled by a demon. And that really exists in this world. And some of us know the experience of having a kind of a a rage that we cannot be free from, an anger that we cannot control, or an addiction that we have tried to break and cannot. And when Jesus comes into your life, he empowers you to reject the dark things of this world, to tell them to go away the way that Paul did. Uh, I remember many years ago uh, encountering uh, a guy uh, named George, who was uh, an elderly guy, and, uh, and he told me his personal life story. He had uh, lived as a raging alcoholic for most of his life. And he said he came to this point late in his life, in his retirement years, where he was laying in bed and just felt washed out. Felt like he had lived meaninglessly and it was over. 
and he went to pray. And he said, I kid you not, Jesus appeared in my room, bright like light. He didn't say anything, but I felt this, this deep peace that I had never felt before. And I've never had another drink since then. Jesus comes to take us off of the, the pathways of empire that we were born onto and to set us free onto pathways of the kingdom, to set us free to live for love and to make the gospel known. There's one other little exchange that happens in uh, Philippi, and I want to read this, this uh, whole thing. I want to make sure you get this. Um, uh, by the way, coming up in 2020, we're going to do something together as a church. I, I want to take our, our discipleship, our, our spiritual growth to a deeper level. And there's this, this curriculum that's now actually going all around the world called Rooted. Uh, and I went and did a, a training session with 50 other churches that were going through it. Uh, and churches all over the, not just the country, but all over the world are going through this uh, together. And it's a, it's a curriculum that people go through in groups of eight or ten and it's not just getting Bible facts in your head. It's, it's going from information to transformation. Uh, and, and part of our breaking free from the things that bind us uh, will come through transformational experiences like this. So stay tuned in 2020 when we go through uh, Rooted Together. But here we are uh, in the city of Philippi, uh, Acts chapter 16. There's another story of an exchange that happens uh, starting in verse 19. When her owners realized, this is the slave woman's owners, when, the slave, uh, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, at once, the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now, this was a custom in the Roman culture that if you, if you lost your, your role in society, if you failed at your role in society, your life was over, and you were to have the honor, the dignity to take your own life. This is, there were great battles that had been fought in Philippi 40 years before where uh, Brutus and Cassius, who had betrayed Julius Caesar, uh, ended up taking their own lives right in the city of Philippi. So this is deep in the lore of the city that honor matters above all else. And when you fail, your life is over. So this Roman guard takes out his sword to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Uh, best sentence this guy ever heard. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right? That's all it took. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. 
He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now get this, the guard imprisoned Paul and Paul set the guard free because Paul was more free in the jail than the guard was outside of the jail, right? Paul set this guy free. He set him free first from the ways of the empire, the ways of the empire that says, if you are not a success, take your own life, it's over. That is part of the value system of America as well. And the suicide rate in our country has risen dramatically in recent decades, particularly among those who are middle-aged. And I think it is the message that if you are not a success, if you don't have a trophy case, it's not going to get any better. You might as well end it. Jesus came to set us free from those ways of the empire. And to set us free to lives that matter. Lives of love and lives of grace. Lives where we don't have to prove ourselves because we are cherished by the one who made us. Paul set this guy free from that value system to put him on a pathway of the kingdom. And Paul set him free from life without God. He didn't know where he came from. He didn't know where he was going in the end. He didn't know what was after this life. Paul gave him a vision for what life was for. And that's the pathway laid out for you and I. You and I are called to know the God who made us and to live according to the pathways of the kingdom. When we decide to follow Jesus, it's not just that we tick the right box on the, the scantron that says, yes, I, I believe the right thing, so I should be allowed into heaven. When we follow after Jesus, what happens is as significant as that, that moment in the courtroom when, when all the people who have immigrated to a new society raise their hand to say a pledge to commit themselves and become citizens of a new kingdom. When we follow after Jesus, we are changing our citizenship. We raise our right hands and we say the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. We become citizens of a kingdom whose values are based on love and meaning and purpose and grace. And nothing can take that away from you. So as we head into Christmas... As we head into the celebration of Emmanuel, God is with us. Remember, this is not a cute tradition that we just open up every now and then and then put back in the box when it's over. This is a pledge to live lives that matter, lives that have been transformed by the one who loves us, and then to spend our lives walking in his way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us and you, you come to set us free. So many of us have just felt trapped by the road we were born on, the road of status or control or just getting by. So many people are at that point where they feel like it's just not worth it and they're never going to measure up. Jesus, give us a vision for the transformation of the road that we're on, that it might no longer be a pathway of the empire, but that it might become a pathway of the kingdom. Use our lives to make Jesus known, to spread his love, to transform life after life after life. Jesus, it's in you that we find meaning. 
And so as Christmas comes, we welcome you. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.